This is the ministry from Sovereign Grace Reformed Church in Tiverton, Devon, United Kingdom. Amen. Well, dear church family and friends, we're on this Lord's Day, this Easter Lord's Day. We are considering the precious words of the patriarch of Uz, Job, and those precious words which he penned under inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Job 19.25. Those precious words, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. What precious words these are from Job. Now sometimes, dear friends, when we get to a passage like this, we don't always appreciate the gravity and the context behind these words, what Job is going through. The wider picture here, Um, it's often quoted, isn't it? For I know that my Redeemer liveth. But what's the context? What's the gravity behind what he is saying here? And that's really what I want to, to, to get across this Lord's Day. The grand purpose behind what he is saying here. Job here, no doubt, is referring to the resurrection of Christ, to the only saviour of sinners, his saviour. And if we think about it, it's even more remarkable, isn't it, that Job lived in the days of Abraham. Most commentators agree that he was uh, part of the family tree of Abraham, that he was a relative of Abraham living in the land of Uz. And that, of course, was well over a thousand years before Christ's coming. Now, friends, the wider context here to what Job is going through is crucial to our understanding. This is not about Job in particular. This is more about the Lord God and his battle with the devil. And we know that, don't we, from the first passage that we read in Job 1. This is about God and his battle with the devil. And whether his word and his grace can be depended upon, his promises can be depended upon. This is about the spiritual warfare between good and evil, between right and wrong, between God and the devil, dear friends. Right at the the beginning of the book of Job, Satan presented himself in Job 1, 6, as we read earlier, within the assemblies of the sons of God. He shouldn't have been there, should should he? But he presented himself to those who truly came to worship the Lord. Satan had no intention of worshipping God, He, of course, was there to cause mischief and to attempt to thwart God's redemptive plans of the Saviour. That's why he was there, wasn't he? In verse 8 of Job 1, God's sovereignty initiates the battle. The Lord says, Have thou considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job? You see, Job here is upheld as a trophy of God's saving grace, that God's promises concerning the Saviour will always, always have the victory. So Job is upheld here as a trophy of God's grace. He is a living testimony to the fact that Satan's designs in trying to thwart God's 
salvation through his son and the grace that he would give through the son is doomed. The, the devil's plans are doomed. And we know that from Genesis 3:15 and 16, where the serpent, the, the, the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's heel. Satan, of course, in his hatred of God, refuses to acknowledge this. He is in denial of this. He refuses to acknowledge this. And he does, he does everything to try to take away our hope of the Saviour's words, of his promises to us through the Son. In Job 1.9, Satan challenges Job's love and commitment to God. He says, Doth Job fear God for naught? In other words, he's saying, Does, does Job really fear you, God? Does he, is he really trusting you for who you are? Or is it because what you're giving him, as it were? Satan then goes on to say in, in verse 10 of Job 1, to question and undermine God's saving grace to Job. He says in verse 10, Has not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Friends, do you see what the devil is doing here? Do you see what Satan is doing here? He's saying, really, saying, is, does Job really love you for who you are? He loves you really because of the, the, the prosperity gospel, doesn't he? He loves, he loves you because of what he can gain from you. He, he loves you because of wealth and health and family and substance. All these things that you can give him, that's why he's truly loving you, not for who you are. That's what he's saying. He's undermining God's promise here of the Saviour through his Son. That's what he's doing. Does Job truly love and trust you for who you are? Is he trusting you? Is he not trusting you because of the, the wealth you've given him, the health you've given him, the family, the substance you've given? That's what really what he's trusting you for. He's undermining God's promises through the Son, of grace through the Son and saving grace. It's God's grace in salvation that Satan is challenging here, isn't it? That's what he's challenging. And God allows Job to be put to the test now. And he's doing this for our sakes, for the generation to come. He allows, he gives permission for the devil, for Satan to persecute Job. Job is put to the test. And just a, a word of comfort for believers here, friends. God the devil cannot touch one hair upon our heads, dear friends, without, without God's permission. Remember that. The devil cannot do anything to any, or any believer without God's permission at, at all. He is on chains. But God here, for the higher purposes, which we, we now know of, he, he allows the devil to do this. God himself is being tested now. His promises and his saving grace is being questioned and undermined by the devil. And friends, isn't this very telling of the days that we're living in? He is undermined in every walk of life in our society. Many people undermine the Saviour and his precious words now. And that's because of the influence of the devil. Many people undermine what the Lord Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary. He is, he is, he's a busy foe, isn't he? And so God gives the permission for Satan to touch and affect all that Job had. Verse 12 of Job 1. 
And Satan then, dear friends, as a cruel, roaring lion, goes about with a rampage, devouring Job's livelihood, the thousands of uh, sheep and cattle and camels, everything, he's, 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 his, his whole life's work, as it were, literally Satan. In one tragic day, destroys those things, all of us livelihood, even as servants, thieves and pillagers and destroys them, his employees. And you know, Satan does not even spare his ten children, his seven sons and his three daughters. So cruel, uh, uh, cruel and vicious is our enemy to our souls. Friends, in one tragic day, Job lost everything. He lost everything from an earthly perspective. We've got to ask ourselves the question, what would you and I do if in, in one day we lost everything? Wife, well not wife, children, our livelihoods, our homes, everything that we've built up. What happens if we just lost everything, if Satan was to do that to us, dear friends? But you know, there's a, higher, there's a higher question than that. You know, every day, one day, we're go, we, will, we all will lose everything because we came into this world with nothing and we're going to leave with nothing. There will be a day, dear friends. You see, the devil has blinded us to that very fact. Job, dear friends, rent his clothes, didn't he? And he fell to the ground and he worshipped. He worshipped God. In verses 20 and 21, he said, Behold, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked will I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow! What type of man is this? This is a man who truly the work of, of God, salvation is working in. He loves God more than anything. You see, you have to love God more than anything. And he is utterly, utterly depending upon the Lord here. You see, Satan, of course, is not happy. He is not happy that Job still trusts and loves God more than anything. Because it means that God's promises remain absolutely sure and faithful. And the devil hates that, doesn't he? The devil hates when he sees believers persevering in the faith, as it were. God's grace is sufficient for them. He hates that because it means that God will never ever break his promises concerning his son as our redeemer and the grace that he will give through that. James's epistle speaks of this in this respect in James 5, 10 through 11. It says, take my brethren, the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. This was God's doing. God was sustaining Job here. It's God's redemptive power through the Son that is sustaining and the Holy Spirit that's sustaining Job here. And Job was holding on to those promises and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tender mercy. Friends, if we know our Bibles, 
you will know that Satan went on in chapter 2 of Job to smite him. God gave him permission then, because you remember, Job uh, said, well, what about his person? Let me, let me touch his person. And God gave him permission to touch his person. And so Job smites, uh, sorry, the, the devil, Satan smited a Job with boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So he, jo, there's Job, he's lost his ten children. That must have been a, 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 a terrible heartache. He's lost all of his livelihood, all that he's worked for, many of his employees. He's sitting in dust and ashes and he's covered now with boils from his foot, from the toe of his foot right to his, his, his head. He's at death's door, at death's gate here. And he's, he's scraping the boils with, with a pot shed, scraping them off. He has nothing left, as it were. And if things were not bad enough, Satan then went on to influence Job's wife, to whisper in her ears, as it were, to tell Job to curse God and to die. Friends, that's all the devil, isn't it? Because the devil's a liar and a murderer from the beginning, is he not? And so he whispers, of course, she must have been in grief. She's lost her children. She's lost everything. But that's what the devil does, doesn't he? He whispers when we're, when we're at our lowest. He tries to affect our loved ones. He whispers in her ear, tell Job to curse God and die. As we Tell your husband that. God has forsaken us, as it were. And Job, of course, friends, rebuked her. He said, you're talking like one of the worldly women. You're talking like one of the worldly women. Does not God give? Give good? Are we not to expect good at the hands of God and not also evil as well? He gave, he gives, and he takes away, as it were. Friends, a man, I tell you, a man can endure many things in this life. But you, but, but you see, when, when, when Satan turns those, those closest to us upon us, well, that's, that's very hard, isn't it? And that's what was happening to Job. Well, further into the pits, Job goes here, like Joseph did, into the pit, into the prison, as it were, lower and lower and lower. And so does Job, into the valley of the shadow of death, does Job go. And we all know what happens next, don't we? Job's lousy friends, those lousy comforters, come. And they come with a show of piety and they sit down with him in ashes, as it were, and they seek to mourn with him. And yet, do, do we not see, chapter after chapter, they start to insinuate some gross sin within him. They start to insinuate that he's been hiding sins, gross sins, from them. That his life is just one of hypocrisy. And he's just really hiding these sins. He's really, they frame him as this wicked man. And... Chapter after chapter after chapter, all these, they, they, they insinuate to Job that all these things have happened to him because he's wicked. He's lost his children because of these gross sins in his life. He, he, all, he, he's got this, this, he's lost his health. He's lost everything because of these gross sins. They keep on cruelly insinuating all these things. You know, they get to the point where they start to take away his hope, even of the Saviour. You know, if, if, he hadn't lost, if he hadn't lost enough, 
He lost everything in this world. And the one thing he was holding on to by faith was his saviour, was the, the sure hope of a resurrection. And you know what? The devil is even whispering that is, take, his, take the hope of that from him. That was the only thing he was holding on to. Only thing he had left. And friends, I'll tell you now that you do not have to live long upon this in this world to know that man's words and the things of this world will always fail you. They will always fail you. But God's word, dear friends, and his promises in his words and through his son, they will never fail us, ever fail us. Job says in Job 19.2, How long will you, ye vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? Job 19.2. In other words, he's saying, isn't not enough that I've lost everything, my children, my everything that I've gained in my life? Isn't not enough? And now you're tra- trying to vex my very soul, the hope of my soul that I'm trusting and I am assured of, that my Redeemer liveth. And you're now even trying to take him away from me. Is it not enough? He's saying that you're trying to break me in pieces now. Job goes on to say in verses 13 and through 19 of Job 19. He hath put my brethren far from me. And mine acquaintance are verily estranged from me. Verse 15. They that dwell in my house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. You know, dear friends, there's something very telling about these words of Job, which is true of actually the process of salvation. You know, when the Lord saves, often we become, we become very peculiar in the eyes of the world. And even those friends that we used to have, they see us as estranged from them. We become peculiar, we become different because we're trusting in the Saviour. We almost become alienated from them, not, not purposely, but because we love the Lord and we're living for him. It says in verse 16, I called my servant and he gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. Verse 17, my breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. Verse 18, yea, young children despise me. I arose and they spake against me. You know, they, they once honoured Job, but now you see, when God has touched him, touched his life, touched his heart, as were brought him low, even the children are mocking him. That's the same with us, isn't it? In the high streets, the high streets round about us, children stand up and mock us, friends. Oh, they will honour, they will honour when they're taken to entertainments, the movies or whatever, but they will mock the preacher who cares for their soul. Yea, young children despise me. I arose and they spake against me. All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved have turned against me. Friends, what's happening here to Job is very similar to that which happens to, to us in true conversion. It's true. It's the same process that happens. I remember for, my, for me, and I know it's different for everyone, that when the Lord saved me on that train in Italy, all my friends just went. I, I told them what had happened to me. They thought it was fickle. I got calls of them drunk saying, come on, Lee, come out with us again. I said, no, you don't understand what's happened to me. And this was what happens, friends. 
Man is humbled, man is brought low to realize that there's nothing in him or in anyone else that can save him. Men's words cannot last. Man has the sinful tendency, we all do, don't we, to make little saviors of the creature. We do, don't we? We, we, tr- we make little saviors of the creature instead of the creator. But all these things will utterly fail us in the end because we came into this world with nothing and we're going to leave with nothing. Only that which is done for the soul and Christ is going to last in the end. Job cries out to his friends in verse 21, Have pity upon me, have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. God hath touched me. You see, God has done this to me. God has has a higher purpose in this. You see. And they're trying to persecute his soul, take away the only hope he has left. And he's saying, have pity upon me, my friends. Have pity upon me. He's warning them, in essence. God, the hand of God have touched me. There's a higher purpose to what's going on. Don't you realize that God has allowed these things to be happened? God has brought me low. God has showed me my vileness. God has showed me there's no hope in man. These great things have happened for a higher purpose. That's what he's saying to them. And we all know what that higher purpose is, do we not? It is to tell the generations to come that the promises of God concerning his precious Son and our Redeemer and the grace that we, he will give through the resurrection is absolutely certain and sure. And we can put our hope and all our confidence in that And seek that until we find it. And we know like Job assuredly that we are born of God. It's to tell the generation to come. That's the purpose here, friends. And the devil, you see, is trying to thwart the purposes of God. And this is not only true in truth, but in power. Because Job talks about how he will see God again. Even though he's at the, the death's door and his body is going to be given to worms and the worms are going to eat on his body when he dies but yet he will see God again with his body his new resurrected body he will see God with his eyes his new resurrected pure eyes that God will give him a new heart new eyes he will see God again though worms will eat upon him and corrupt him they never corrupted the saviour's body Resurrected, He will see God again. It's talking about the resurrection here. It's talking about Christ coming and being lifted up for us. And of course Christ's return. And he wholeheartedly believes in that. Job has lost everything, friends. He, he literally has lost everything. But he has not lost his saviour. Oh, praise be to the Lord. He has not lost the saviour. He has not lost God's promises. Of grace through the Son. Oh, let us magnify the sinner's friend together. And so confident of Job is this, and so full of the Holy Spirit, so pressed is the Holy Spirit upon his holy, reverent soul, that in verses 23 and 24, he pens these precious words. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. 
that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. You see, he is so enamoured, he is so confident that his Redeemer liveth. He's saying, the words I'm about to say, if the words I'm about to say in verse 25, that if, if, if they were so put in a book, if they were so engraven on a rock that no one with their malicious words can mark them out again, that could take my hope again, and of course, God the Holy Spirit and God the Father knew this. Unbeknown to Job, that his, his words were inspired, that, that they are written in the book. And they are engraven forever upon our hearts. And not the, the malicious designs or the devil can ever take them away from us. And what are the words that Job has desired that this world will never forget again? So much so that he wants them to be engraven in the rock, in the precious word of God. Well, verse 25, these are the words, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. That's the words that he wants us to know. That's the gravity. That's the context to the situation, what I was talking about in the beginning. That's the the gravity. That's the situation. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, despite all the devil's designs. God's promises of grace through the Son and his finished work will never be taken away from me. Not what my friends say, not what anyone says will ever take that away from me. Because it's God that has done it. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. Here is absolute confidence and uh, assuredness that he believes in Christ as his Saviour. That his Saviour will come and will be lifted up and die for his sins. Will be his Redeemer, the one that will pay the full debt of his sins. And though after, says verse 26, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He's talking about the resurrection of the just, isn't he? The second coming of the Lord, that he will see the Lord in his resurrected body, as all true believers will. Job, Job's friends have reproached him as a hypocrite and are attempting to take away God's promises concerning his very soul. Satan, dear friends, is truly the accuser of the brethren, isn't he? He just seeks to take away God's promises to us. God's grace, however, friends, is sufficient for us, is it not? Job gives his confession of faith. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. He's, he's living in expectation of the blessed resurrection of his vile body and of his soul. Friends, can I ask us a, a question? Do we have the same expectation, the same sure hope? Are we living for that more than anything? Job says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. According to the law of Moses in Leviticus 25, 25, a Redeemer is one who is next of kin, is he not? One who pays the, for the bankruptcy of an estate that's fallen into poverty. We think of uh, Naomi, who went out of Israel, didn't she? 
and she came back empty-handed. She lost her husband, she lost her, her two sons, she was utterly bankrupt, her estate was bank- bankrupt. Job now is bankrupt, he lost everything. And so a redeemer is one who pays for the bankruptcy of an estate fallen into bankruptcy. And this is what happened to Job. And this is what happened to Naomi in the Bible. They both needed a redeemer. They were in danger of being sold, you see, as a slave under sin and bondage. You see, they needed someone to come and pay for their bankruptcy. And we all need that because we're sold as slaves under sin. We need someone to come before it's too late. Before we become a slave to our sin, we are slaves to sin. But you see, our Redeemer comes and he pays that full cost. You see, our estates, our bodies, and our souls, you see, friends. We need a Redeemer. We need someone who's going to pay the full debt of our sin. Friends, because of the fall and original sin, we are all facing spiritual bankruptcy. There's a spiritual warfare going on. And we need the Saviour. We need what Job had, the Redeemer. We have become slaves to sin. We need a redeemer. We need, we need him to pay our full debt of sin. A lifetime of sin. Past, present and future. Jesus Christ the Saviour, dear friends, is our next of kin. He's the one that came down from the glorious courts and mansions of heaven. Who was separated from his father. And like Job, suffered much. Came to his own and his own received him not. Lived a life of tears and heartache and pain to save us from our sin to pay that full debt our bankruptcy of sin he's our next of kin dear friends God the Father sent Christ into this world to redeem us of all our sin and that's what he did at the cross of Calvary when he said it was finished he means it the finished work of redemption of salvation is complete it's done Everything is provided for you. Job knew that. Christ has paid our debt of sin. God's justice for our law-breaking, our sin, has been dealt with. It has been satisfied. God's justice has to be satisfied, else he would not be a just God. And it was settled, you see, friends. Christ, our Redeemer, has not only paid for our debt of sin and has satisfied the justice of God, He has also fitted us for heaven through our Redeemer's imputed righteousness. This is missed out in many gospel presentations nowadays, friends, but it's so important. We we also need imputed righteousness for heaven. It's not just about the do nots. It's, It's if we're living for the Lord. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ always did that which is good and righteous and holy. We need imputed righteousness And so Abraham believed in the promises of God that through his seed the saviour of the world would come. And he believed in that seed. And what happened? It was accounted to him for righteousness. Righteousness. That's what we need. We need imputed righteousness. God, when we believe in him as our saviour, that he died for the full debt of our sins, That the justice of God has been satisfied in Christ on that finished work of Calvary. An amazing thing happens. He gives us his robe 
of righteousness. And he covers us with that robe of righteousness. And you know what? God the Father then looks upon a poor, trembling sinner. And he doesn't see our failures anymore. He doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the imputed righteousness of his Son. When God looks upon you, dear believer, he sees that you only do good in Christ. What a marvel this is. And though we feel our sin and our failures to God, he doesn't see that. He sees the imputed righteousness of his Son upon us. <laughs> what a marvel this is. That God should love us in such a way. We who by nature like Job, and Job admits this, that we are vile. But in Christ we are made righteous, perfect. My words, my deeds, my inner sinful heart. Well, God has changed that. He's changed me. And he has given me the power of the Holy Spirit. Where we truly believe in Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, we are also given the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. These are not promises of men. This is God's promise. Being born again of the Holy Spirit of God. Therein is power, friends, isn't it? And the Holy Spirit, of course, gives us a new desire and principles to be holy, to live holy lives, to live for him, live for his promises, live for his word, to believe in him, trust in him. The Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, friends, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so will we, if we, like Job, put all our trust and faith in Christ, if we truly turn away from the things of this world, repent of them and put all our faith and trust in him. Well, in closing, just a few thoughts for us today. Friends, we see these precious words of Job inspired of the Holy Spirit in verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon earth. Well, dear friends, this is a personal thing between us, a, a poor sinner, and his God. This is a personal thing. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. We cannot come corporately, dear friends, to the Saviour in, in terms of salvation. It must be a personal thing. It, does, it doesn't matter what family you're born into, friends. It doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. It doesn't matter what theology that you know. You must come personally as a poor sinner, truly believing in Jesus Christ as your Redeemer, and trust him, believe that he died on the cross for you, paid that debt of sin, and that he has satisfied the justice of God for you, and that he gives you his righteousness. It's a personal thing. That's why you can come to God and say, Abba, cry, Abba, Father. You can come reverently because he's in heaven, but you can come tenderly because he's a father. And Job knew this, didn't he? For I know that my Redeemer liveth. So we should come personally, pour our heart out before the Lord, and he will hear us. Friends, we also need to come sincerely, do we not? This is how Job came. For I know, I know. He says it assuredly. He says it believingly. Sincerely. We must come sincerely. You know, it's sad to say in the much worldly Christianity of our day, it's, it's, it's all, much of it is just based upon feelings, upon so many other things. 
we must come sincerely with all our hearts, truly mean that we're forsaking, forsaking the things of this world, forsaking self, and truly loving him and believing in him. We must come sincerely, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. Of course, dear friends, this also requires true repentance, because he is our Redeemer. He is our Redeemer. That means we must acknowledge our sin that we have a great amount and debt of sin. We sin with our hearts, with our minds, do we not, every day. We've broken his holy laws. It's not just about the laws that we've broken, it's about the things that we haven't done for God. We haven't always lived for God's righteousness, have we? We haven't always done that which is good. There must be true repentance. When we're saved, there's true repentance. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, the one that's paid my full debt, the millions of sins I've committed against God. And we must come as a poor, wretched sinner, pouring our heart out before the Lord sincerely, dear friends. And also, this also requires, finally, true belief and faith in the word of God. This is what Job had nothing else to hang on, nothing but the word of God. And that he knew that he would one day be raised again. And he was. And you know, the Lord is no man's debtor. The Lord gave Job double everything he lost again. And we're, no, we're, not, we're not told, we're not, we're not promised riches or wealth or health. But what we are promised is that the Lord is always faithful concerning his promises of grace through his son to us. Always. We can utterly rely upon that. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.